Every day, you make decisions that affect you and the people you care about. So do your elected officials. That's why elections are so important, because you are picking the leaders who will make choices that directly impact you and your community. Vote411.org is your tool for accurate and unbiased election information, whether you're registering to vote or learning more about your local candidates. Your vote is your megaphone. Use it to pick the leaders you trust. Get online, get the facts, and make your voice heard on Election Day. Moving forward. I'm here today with Angus McKelvey, which, like, I haven't crossed paths with you yet in my return to to Maui since I've been trying to put more time in back at home. And I, uh, you know, I I tried to get as many candidates as I could, but you were like, I I don't know whether it was just like the way I I set up my first mailer system, because I got to tell you, this this podcast is like the quiotic dream of one madman. So, um, well, actually, you were sending it to our official rep account, and we are not by law allowed to have any campaign correspondence through there, and so it was being filtered out. Uh, then my office email. manager went back to the trapped emails that were marked, um, and forwarded to me manually. So, um, right, uh, that's good yeah, to yeah. know. That's like, yeah, our we first take it very seriously. Right you know, I was chair of a formerly of a committee that one of our oversights was the ethics commission. You know, those kinds of things you gotta kind of lead by example. You know, and so we we set up a system to basically trap any emails that were campaign related and tried to basically so it wouldn't be any kind of use of state resources for that. So, amen to that. Wow, man! Like, and, you know, and it's like I really try to like. There's so much to unravel about like your world, man, and like from someone on the outside. With like bureaucrat parents and, and a couple of elected officials and some like guys with stars and bars. Like I tried to watch all that, but it wasn't my bag. But from the outside yeah. as a pundit, like I try to like understand it so much because like you guys put yourselves to the ringer and there's so much rules for the rules. And so like that's something that like I mean, I thought I took enough civics courses to at least kind of notice something like that because that crosses over into my field as far as broadcast journalism. So then it's mm-hmm. like I learned something that I should have known before this. Yeah, well, no, I mean, people, a lot of people don't. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, uh, a lot of people don't. They're like, oh, okay, I'll just shoot something over there and ask about this event, campaign event or that event. And so it's not just you and it's not, you know, people just don't know exactly. The ethics commission, I told them, I said, you guys need to do a better job of public engagement to educate groups and other things on, okay, you know, when campaigns come rolling around, even though they're an incumbent, you know, you need to make sure to use their listed email address on their voter registration or candidate registration form and, and not send things to there and, you know, et cetera. So they agreed. They're, they're, they're short staffed, unfortunately, like mm. so many of the other agencies are. Um, and so that's one of the things It's like, okay, well, we have to know technical know how to set up a screening system. Let's just go ahead and do it. Dig it. Like, wow, man. But thanks. Thanks for that. Like piece of info like that alone. Like no matter what happens after this election, can I already ask you now? Could like could I have you back on to like go down that rabbit hole and talk about things like that? <laughs> yeah, by all means, you know, if I win, hopefully knock on wood with some wood, knock on it. Um, yeah, I'll talk about it because, you know. 
my new, I mean, I'm, I might be lined up to have a chairmanship of a committee that would include that again. And so, and if not, if I'm just a regular Joe, then yeah, I mean, you give you my, my uh, real world institutional knowledge of, of things like that. We can go deep down that rabbit hole. Dig <laughs> it, dig it. All right. So before we get lost talking story on anything else, anything else, could you please let everybody know who you are and what you're running for? My name is Angus McKelvey. I am a local boy. I was born in Honolulu and then at the ripe age of one year old moved to Maui. I've been in, living in Lahaina ever since my entire life except for a stint in California. Um, I worked as originally got involved in politics back in California. My mom, however, and my dad were very involved in the community. My mom started several community groups, including Lahaina Town Action Committee, Lahaina Art Society, several. My dad's claim to fame was he was one of the architects that helped to build Disneyland, and then he came out here and he was the architect who worked to design the Kaanapali Resort area as a master uh, visitor area. And in the time with Emeriti Tam and getting a little down the rabbit hole, the idea was to create an area where the visitors could basically do and see everything within that area and not be in the local neighborhoods and towns. Um, went ahead, I got a graduated college from California. I have a law degree, graduated with a JD from a California Concord Law after that. Uh, worked as a legislative aide in the state senate, which is where I really got involved in getting things done for the Lahaina community. I had a great boss and mentor, former Senator Tony Chang, who's since passed away. Uh, and then we kind of had a meltdown in the district uh, back in 2005 and was asked by several people, hey, you should throw your hat in the ring. You know this stuff and your heart's in the right place. And so I did. And I was elected as a state representative back in 2006. And since then, I've been reelected up until now, um, served in many committee chairmanship positions, got a lot of things done. One of the biggest ones that I'm proud of is basically engineering a plan to have the state acquire Honolulu Bay so that at the time, the plan was to sell it to a Russian oligarch and to have it carved up for private development mm. from one end of the bay to the other. Um, numerous other bills since then across the board, building the new stadium and facilities for the high school, new facilities for our other schools, first ever teacher dedicated housing complex in, you know, in the major eight islands and um, state Senator Ross Baker, who's the current state Senator decided to retire. And I was like, okay, I want to take these years of experience and these accomplishments for Lahaina and see if I can not only do more great work for West Maui, but also for the great people in Kihei in South Maui. And Waikapu and the Legends of Maui Lani have been added to the district. It's new. So now the district encompasses half of Maui Island. Wow. And I was excited about the opportunity to help those guys out, too. It's a great community out there in both areas. And so that's why I'm running for State Senate District 6. Dig it. Dig it. Dig it. So, uh, you know, um, we, we had a lot of previous candidates come on, and I would ask them and have them explain, like, what does your position do? But, you know, we've had plenty of that this season. And I think because of like your purview on things and uh, you're the first partisan candidate I've had in a while, like I'd really like to ask a guy like you per someone who like sits on ethics committees. Like, do you think that like committees and things like that, that help like bring that to light from a, 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 uh, cooperative perspective like builds like conversation across the aisle 
Yeah, really here's the thing. Even though a clear majority of members in both chambers are Democrats, they're not there is much uh, ideological division and debate. You'll see bills co-introduced by both Republicans and Democrats and yeah. voted on on both sides by Republicans and Democrats. You have progressive Democrats like myself. You have some of my colleagues that are conservative Democrats, more of the you know business-oriented, traditionalist, labor Democrats. Um, you know, we... We get along great personally, but, you know, yeah, we have sharp ideological differences. And um, But I think this year you're really seeing the ideological differences emerging between the Democrat and Republican candidates for these different seats. I have very stark differences between myself and my Republican opponent. Um, and I think it's going to put into contrast on many, given what the Supreme Court is doing, I think now more than ever, these issues are very important. The differences are important. Yeah, that's. I mean, especially at, at your level of participation in government. I mean, you're, you're. I mean, it's not that you're beyond the local conversation, but your local conversation is a part of the like the larger American heartbeat. Well, so. exactly. And the thing is, in, in the Senate, we have the power. Of, there's here's the, the the old adage is. The House has the power of the purse, and I've been telling my you know potential successors this. You guys generate the budget. You guys do the budget first. You guys, which dictates the spending if a disagreement occurs. In the Senate, we have the power of confirmation. And that's important because especially if several Supreme Court judges retire during the next two to four years, the governor will appoint somebody and it's up to us to vet and confirm them. And you could, some of these national issues like reproductive rights will potentially come back to Hawaii and so far marriage equality is another one where you may have justices that are appointed by the governor. If one governor wins Duke, those appointments will be very different than if Josh wins. And so it's up to us to vet and confirm them. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a settled issue in Hawaii. I go, no, not really. And this is one area where it's not. And the other place we confirm to are the, all the new directors and deputy directors. And a lot of what a state senator does is nuts and bolts. I mean, yes, we participate in the bigger conversations that do have ideological slash national, you know, prism on them. But we a lot of, at the end of the day, it's about, okay, how are we creating affordable housing and rentals in perpetuity? How are we trying to fund our schools and expand opportunities for, you know, for increasing repair and maintenance? How are we going to move the damn highway inland, which is being inundated by climate change? You know, how are we going to re-engineer the north-south connector road in Kihei or the Lahaina Bypass North? Those are the big things that a state senator will be really focused on. It's it's going on within our communities. Kihei High School is another one. I can go down that rabbit hole if you want. I mean... And so, (laughs) I mean, but it's like, and so it's like, you know, you know, my opponent has been focused in the past on national things, things going on in D.C. And I'm like, okay, the reality is, is that if you don't have a plan to get the bypass north going on, to get the Kihei High School connection done, to do the north-south connector road, to do the next phase of the flood control project in Kihei, those are the big issues that you as a state senator are going to deal with, not with, you know, QAnon theories and things like that. <laughs> well, I, I kind of think there's a little there's a little bit of, you know, disconnected understanding sometimes when certain people take office or go after an office and then they don't realize, like, 
how big of a heist they got themselves into. Oh yeah. I mean, my my successor, one of my successors is finding that out the hard way. I mean, she, her heart's in the right place, but she was on county government and she keeps talking about county issues. I'm like, look, I got a newsflash for you. You know, you can't be caught up on county issues anymore and can't be caught up in the weeds on county. We have huge crises going on within our districts because we have the shared districts that need 100% of the attention. And you have to trust that the county council members, that they will, that's their kuleana, and that they will need to be the tip of the spear on it. And for us, we need to focus on our end of the spectrum so that they can do their job and know that, you know, we have support. And when you need to work together, I think that's the common mantra that's finally coming out is in years past, there was so much turf war between the county and the state. It was ridiculous. And now some of the council members, both incumbent and running, they have very refreshing outlook and, okay, we can't play the, this is county, this is state, and we need to start tearing down some of these old walls that exist. And a lot of it is because our systems of government were created in a much different world. You know, when they were created, we had giant plantations. We had the start of tourism. Now we have, you know, a speculation economy. We have housing and affordable um, rental spiraling out of control. We have a tourism industry that has grown so huge. It's now about trying to make it regenerative and manage it. So these are kind of the things now why it's like we can't operate in the old paradigms anymore. Uh, well, this is county that this this was state, and the, you know this should be uh, you know this and this should be that. That was done back when the world was a much different place. Mm-hmm. To, to to quote to quote the movie Draft Day, it's a much different world we live in now than we did five minutes ago. You know, I mean, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, these two years were a blur for everyone, like everybody's pretty lives. much. And I, I think what we saw from COVID was an the absolute hyper generation of the speculation investment market. I've never in my life growing up here did you have people from the mainland and other countries calling people on the phone, getting into cash bidding wars over a plantation house on behind Luna Road. Mm. It was always, the way it always was, was that market was the investment luxury market. That was in Wailea. That was in Kapalua. You know, people didn't buy in these areas. They didn't come in to speculate in them. And as a result, you you had a good supply of local housing and rentals available. Now, because of this, it's just being snatched up by everybody and their mother. And so that's why I take issue with the whole, some some people said, oh, well, a study was done in 2016 that says, if we build ten thousand more units, we'll solve our affordable housing crisis. <laughs> more and I'm houses like, never solved. No, I'm like, okay, no, you just created ten thousand more houses for speculators to snatch up. Yes. Well, that's all you've done, and so that's why I'm a firm believer in land trust model. That's why I'm a firm believer in affordable housing rentals. They have to be in perpetuity, and if it means that government has to be involved in the equation to to make sure that happens, then so be it. And you know, one of the we have a fast track process at the state level called Tool One H, and it was created years and years ago with the idea that oh, okay, and it was a different world back then that developers could get a fast track through permitting if they agreed to do a certain percentage of affordable housing. Well, what's happened over the years is all of these Tool One H projects that have come and been approved. You go to them today, not a single one of those so-called affordable units that were built under the percentage are still affordable. They're all 
market price homes that are being flipped and reflipped and double flipped. More flipping of homes than hamburgers and McDonald's. I mean, it's it's uh, it, and that is why. Look, we can't be if we're going to have a fast track on the books. We need to make sure that, that percentage is either put into a trust, like Mahali O'Malley, which I'm a personal fan of, you know, or other some other kind of restrictive covenant, so that yes, you do get an appreciative if you sell it. Because you are putting money into the home and making it better, putting in landscaping, keeping it up. But at the same time, you're unable to flip it for, you know, for huge profits. And also, it doesn't all of a sudden become a market price home. Um, you live next door to a market price home, an affordable house. It gets flipped market. The new property tax assessments come in. Now, your home property taxes have gone through the roof. And then now, all of a sudden, your house which was affordable to begin with too, you now are like, oh, I can go ahead and sell it to somebody from the mainland and make millions of dollars. How are people working families supposed to get into those homes? And back in the day, you know, when I was growing up in Lahaina, that just didn't happen. You know, I mean, you, you had a house at Lahaina Luna Road, somebody sold it. They get a, you know, they get a price where a local family could go ahead and get decent financing and turn around and they could buy it. And that doesn't exist anymore. And that's that to me is the huge battle. And that to me is the number one issue. Candidates need to of all stripes need to come forward on specific plans on how they're going to tackle it. And when the dust settles, we all got to work together to as a team to deliver results and stop the, the stem the bleeding number one and turn around and try to you know really accelerate you know the either creation of new units or i'm a fan of acquiring existing units and then all of turning them around and making offering them at affordable rates to people so right on well you know i gotta say that like so um i you know i i don't know how how much you know about me in, in passing with other candidates that you may talk to but uh i sit on this weird purple side of republican having predominantly grown up in north county california <laughs> so i was like uh, you know i mean you know the carl's orange bad county, types, right? north orange county california yeah you know you oh yeah I know, you know the yeah, carl's yeah, bad well, types was, you know was it, was it, was, well, i know it's so well i i'm gonna make you drill down was it laguna beach was it irvine was it <laughs> where was it <laughs> well you know but it's just it's it's just that 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 funny thing of like californians are very like live red vote blue yeah, no, totally. I, like I said, I spent numerous years out there. My sister is born and raised and lives in PV Beach still. I mean, I funny, most people come to, from California to Hawaii for vacation. I go to California for vacation. And, oh, absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll go to my old haunting or stepping grounds, and there's some good things that the state has done that could be a model for Hawaii. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff where things are kind of getting out, way out of control over there. Um, you but know, where I got to say, I feel you is, I mean, I, you know, a lot of people, uh, at least just the chatter sphere, gets distressed about the idea of like government interference and housing and everything, or at least you know the words they use to paint that. But like, I mean, correct slash illuminate me on the matter. But like, I feel that like we're probably in one of the most deregulated housing like slash like private market eras, and it's kind of just gotten out of hand to a, a certain degree no you're up that's exactly it's gotten out of hand and yeah. that's the 
Because I'm all for profits. I mean, like, capitalism uh, can be cool consciously. Well, it's like, like a river. Here's the thing. It's, this is my river analogy I'll share with you. Is Capitalism is like a river. It has immense power that can bring a lot of good, you know, to, you know, as a river does. But if it's if it gets out of control, if it's too powerful, it's allowed just to run rampant, full tilt, it will tear up banks, it will destroy farmlands and everything else. But if you can control it and guide it and harness it, then that force can become a productive force in the community. And, you know, just like a river, when you put in alluvial flumes on the, on the bank, you go ahead and use vetiver grass as a trapping agent that also slows down flow. You now, the river's still flowing, but now it's flowing in a way where it's actually growing and building the community. It's not tearing everything to pieces. And that's kind of my analogy for the unbridled capitalism in the housing market in Hawaii. You know, it's just, it's like drinking the investment. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. People are getting phone calls unsolicited from several people at one time and emails saying, I'll give you cash for your house. And they're like, well, what? I'll give you a million, $2 million for your plantation house on behind the road right now. And then all of a sudden, when they're still reading from that, somebody else will call up and say, I want to buy your house. Well, I just got a two million offer. Screw them. I'll give you two and a half million. <laughs> it's like whoa you know and the house sells now it's worth two to three million dollars for a very modest plantation home and good luck having somebody who lives in the community who's middle class be able to afford it anymore and, and that's kind of where we're at in hawaii and maui in particular is you know i i, I draw a lot of analogies between us and the Roman Empire, insofar mm. as the middle class is being destroyed systematically in Maui. We do, government does a lot of things for the lower echelon, lower class folks, but, and the upper class folks, of course, they don't need any help and they're going, they're loving the fact that we have such inequity in our property and state taxation systems and take advantage of it. But it's the middle class that's getting eaten alive and diminishing. So, it's to the point where I think the middle class should be declared an endangered species. Uh, yeah, agreed. Like, <laughs> we well, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think people <laughs> understand like the stilts of a shell that like the economy is living on for the people in the clouds right now, and that still like yeah. even though they have that security of being so oversaturated in wealth, there's an eventual like outcome where that wealth doesn't mean anything because you broke in the market so much. So, well, and that's what's happening here. I, I, I talk to some of my friends who are, you know, a lot of wealthy people in West Maui, and they're wealthy. And they're like, I can't, you know, I can't get somebody to come and do drywall repair. I can't get somebody to come and do electrical repair, you know, to my place. And because that's middle class businesses and, and professions, and they're all basically being displaced. And they're basically like, okay, I can't afford to be here anymore. There's nothing available. And there's no place to live in the area, so I'm going to pull up, either you know, do something else and get out of that business, or I'm just going to basically pull up stakes and move elsewhere. And so the remaining entities, I like this one electrician company here. You got if you want them to come out and do any kind of electrical work, you need to book them three to four months in advance. Oh yeah, because I mean it's like because there's nobody really around anymore. And you have so many wealthy people from the mainland who are so used to just picking up the phone and going, okay, I need you out here tomorrow. And if you, I mean, it's like you have these new areas like Ka'anapali Gulf Estates, like the Kapalua Malka, where 
He's got millionaires and millionaires buying in like crazy. Whole neighborhoods of multimillionaires. You know, <laughs> it's kind of nutty. I mean, you know, and, and it's it's funny because there's no, there's no, it, you know, don't there's no stratification. You have air, either areas where people work in three to four jobs. Yep. Or you have areas where they're multimillionaires and billionaires. And most of them have come in taking advantage of the broken dichotomy between the county and the state tax system. We have the lowest property taxes in the country, mm. which they to them is nothing. To, to you know, it was meant to take care of and shelter working people so they could have a place to live. But it applies to them. So they come in. This is why I think plantation homes and modest homes of middle income homes are so attractive now to these guys. Is I can come in, I can buy a house, pay one thousand eight hundred dollars in property taxes for a house in Maui. I can make it a part-time residence. I can go ahead and put in an affinity pool and I'm paying my state income tax in another state mm. where I basically get a great deal on it, you know? And meanwhile in Hawaii, and this is a huge thing for the difference between us in California, in California, the schools, the hospitals, the prisons, all of that is funded through municipality, through county property tax system. In Hawaii, all of that is done by the state. The three biggest drivers of the state budget are, this is kind of the, the moniker in the legislature, incarceration, prisons, medication, hospitals, or education, schools. Those are the big three. And in those big three of the state budget, they're all exclusively handled on the mainland, in California in particular, at the property tax municipal level. Mm. That's why property taxes in California are like $5,000, $6,000 you know, higher, as opposed to the $1,000 over here. So this is why we need the county to look at basically helping the state insofar as funding some of these services that the state normally had control of. And this was all set up back in the day again when we had tourism and sugar and pineapple and the idea is oh we have a general excise tax it falls on the visitors it falls on the export markets of sugar and pineapple so if the state goes ahead and pays for education and runs the prisons and runs the hospitals and the ambulances then the tourists and these big industries will pay for it then we can keep property taxes low for residents who at that time were mostly working folks in these various industries. So, and that's kind of why it's like, okay, we need the county to understand the county of Maui had a billion dollar budget last year. That's how much property tax wealth is flowing to the county right now. That's a quarter of the entire state's budget was just on this one area alone, Maui. And so to say, hey, you guys have the ability to raise property taxes in areas like, you know, for Hokiokio and, and Kapalua Malka and the Gulf Estates. You should, we need your help and, you know, help us pay teachers better. Help us in trying to provide for, you know, tearing down that god awful prison in Wailuku, which is like a human rights violation, building something more modern with more, with more you know, focus on not only incarceration, but re rehabilitation as well. And so these are some, and when it comes to affordable housing and rentals, and a guy named Mike Williams, who's the head of the Cost of Government Commission for the County of Maui, really good guy, very wise. He basically brought it up. 
the county is in the best position given the property tax wealth it has and the ability to develop affordable housing on county lands because there's no seated land issues they're in the best position to really lead the charge on creating affordable housing and rentals and where the state can really help us is to help to make permanent some of the programs that came about during covid like landlord tenant mediation court was one the other is a statewide rental assistance program that would work hand in hand with the county a mortgage assistance program so the county builds some of these new units on county land with infrastructure the state can come in and help to basically make sure that the families don't have to come up with thirty thousand to sixty thousand dollars cash just to get in the home and a lot of qualifying families will win affordable housing lot awards and they'll turn around and they'll be like okay great you got an award you need to cut us a check for 60 grand and they're like we don't have 60 grand cash lying around you kidding me <laughs> so anyway so, so i think my uh my question that comes out of that how do you one attempt that in a scenario where you're constrained by how many houses are empty, not featuring voters, but snowbirds from out of state, how many people not showing up at the polls and how much like personal interaction from the community could help solve that. Cause I, I feel that like, and it's, it's kind of clear in some of these, these County races right now at how much like you, you have, have a district that's pretty much uphold by like five voices and it's who's got the most money. It's just like a rich man competition. Like, and, and I even mm-hmm. see it to a case of like where we have, we have them like pulling different candidates on different sides of the aisle in different directions because they're mm-hmm. not there ideology, ideologically they're there, you know, <laughs> for the capitalist factor of it. Well, yeah, no, I mean, my, my opponent's supporters are the speculators. I mean, they're, they're very much, you know, the lot of it is they still have the mindset of the politics from back on the mainland where they're from, you know, then they're mm-hmm. carrying it here, not understanding that, okay, it's not about, you know, all of these issues you hear nationally between Republicans and Democrats aren't really the, you know, the main issues that a state senator is going to work for. But, you know, one of the things we did last year was we passed a resolution. Resolutions are things where the legislature of the state can't officially act in an area, but they can urge another branch of government to do so. And one resolution I co-introduced with a friend of mine from Eva Beach, who's running out there, Representative Matt Lopresti, was to urge the counties to create a more flexible, dynamic property tax system that would tax empty luxury homes, empty homes, to your point. And the way you could get reduce that tax burden is to turn around and to work, rent it, long-term rental, contiguous long-term rental, to families or individuals that fall within a certain AMI. So now you're incentivizing, again, to the market forces conversation, you're incentivizing somebody, okay, I bought this house as an investment, but if I let it sit empty until I go out for my one month a year, then I'm going to get hit with a 10 to 15 grand property tax bill. But if I turn around, and I rent it to within to a family within that AMI, my property taxes will drop back down to where it was before. So now it's like, okay, here's an incentive for me 
to basically work with my my tenants and rent it out for most of the time that I'm not here. And then when I show up, I've got to deal with them. Like, okay, you guys are going on vacation for those three weeks. I'm going to show up those three weeks. Or I'm going to rent you out three quarters of the house. I'm going to have one quarter of it for when I come out, you know, for a month for my investment. I mean, that that's kind of that's kind of one of the ways to try to incentivize these people with empty houses to put them back out at affordable rates for people to rent. Then you have bodies to your point. I know I'm going really circuitous with this, Yeah. but to your, to your point, now you have people, voters, community members living in these empty houses instead of just empty houses. You don't have the, and then remember a lot of the people who own these empty houses are not registered to vote in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. They don't pay state income tax here. They're not registered to vote here. Uh, but their I know money can part vote of the, here. Huh? But their money finds a way to vote here. They're, yeah, I mean, their money finds a way so far as they can contribute. But here's the thing. There's a 30% cap on mainland contributors to any candidate, direct contributors. Now, one of the holes, and I think if I'm elected, if I'm in this chairmanship, we need to address is right now, you can get a contributor from the mainland who has a PO box here, and nearly all of them do, to contribute to you. And they list the PO box on the contribution form, mm. which makes it look like they're a resident, but they're not. And I called the campaign spending commission about this. I'm like, I'm noticing people who have PO boxes who I know dang well are from the mainland, are snowbirders. How come this hasn't triggered the 30% rule, which is programmed into the reporting of the campaign spending commission and they're like well we don't require a physical address because you know people could turn around and they could get you know they could get harassed if they contribute in their physical addresses on their is on is, is on their form you know and, and they're forced to, to put it on there i said well you guys have fields on there which only the campaign spending staff sees and your computers see and you could easily create a field for the required physical address for residency purposes, as well as a P, the, the mailing one, which would be the PO box. The yeah. mailing one would be public. Yep, internal. But the residency one would be internal because you have that. They actually have that already. Yeah. In the calculation of aggregate, so it's like okay, now your computers can successfully do a thirty percent determination. Now your campaign spending staff can zero in on people who are busting the threshold because they basically said, well, we just require, we just have it so that if we suspect, this is hilarious, we suspect that somebody may not be a resident, we we can require the candidate to certify that person as a primary resident of a physical address. And I go, okay, number one, that's pretty more intrusive. And number two is, you guys have don't even have the manpower to do, to enforce existing laws. You're telling me that you're basically going to make it so that you're going to ask the candidates themselves to prove it. And you have no nothing to trigger a investigation yep. or a reporting at all. It's just I, I can boxes. name like four separate industries where self arbitration has failed every time. <laughs> well, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Like, oh well, just trust us. Trust us that they live here, you know, and they put a PO box. And meanwhile, unless you're in the community, you know, hey, wait a second, that person doesn't live here. They live here two months out of the year at the freaking golf estates. You know, come on. I mean, and, and, and but you this the staff won't, it, there's nothing that's done about it. And and so as a result, this 30% thing is basically kind of hogwash. The other one that deserves 
you know, the other one that deserves it next year, a closer look, and this kind of ties into your point, is right now you have individuals whose companies have state contracts with the state of Hawaii. And it, right now it's against the law for a company that has a state contract to make a contribution. However, there's nothing to, to stop that individual, even in their official capacity, from making a contribution to a candidate or funneling additional contributions through their family members or employees or managers. Or PACs. Yeah, it was, yeah, well, the, yeah, the PACs is a whole different thing. But this is a, like, yeah. for instance, Company X has a contract with the state of Hawaii to basically do the, um, what's a good example to use here, to basically re- repair the water sprinkler, emergency sprinkler systems in the schools. Company X cannot contribute to a candidate running for state office. But Company X's president, their manager of operations, their human resource person, their vice president of marketing all can make contributions to that person. And so the, so one of the things, and this came up in a, an article by Civil Beat touched upon it. It's like, okay, you know, there's clearly a loophole here. And so one of the ways to get this loophole gone is to say, if you are a official, have a position within a company that it has a direct state contract, you yourself cannot make an individual contribution either to somebody running. Now, the PAC thing is a whole different issue, and this is why I hate Citizens United. And I actually, a bill was passed from the Senate last year that would have made a symbolic, it was symbolic only, a symbolic constitutional amendment to ban um, contributions of political action committees um, in, in races. And I went ahead and stripped out the symbolic part of it. Part of it now people howled and say it's unconstitutional it violates the federal constitution i said yes it does but if the voters adopt it and it's put into our hawaii state constitution and this was before the supreme court got stacked by trump mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so yeah. this was a pre-stacking argument that was made so maybe it's actually over two years ago that we did this I'm like, now you have a state constitution and the national one in conflict with each other. Now a court case is generated. Now a challenge to Citizens United can now get its way back in front of the Supreme Court again. Exactly. But now, but unfortunately now, I think if it were to come back to this Supreme Court, this Supreme Court would double down on Citizens United. Oh, yeah. And and, and re-entrench it even probably even more so than before. And, um, And, you know, and so, I mean, that's, I think at the end of the day, it's like, for candidates running for offices, what not only what are you going to do, but what have you done? What bills have you introduced? How have you voted? You know, I mean, what, what were your priorities? What were the pieces of legislation you were a primary introducer on? I mean, what funding did you request from the budget of either the state or the county? I mean, it, that's where the tail of the tape really would come down for the voters. It's like, okay, this person turned around and every bill they introduced was to help out this entities that this, these different PACs are basically supporting. Well, it's pretty clear that their priorities are the PACs. But then if you get somebody who's basically putting in stuff for, you know, for new school cafeterias, for putting in stuff like basically ending injection well use, or putting in stuff for like, you know, 
different things like that, then, okay, this is where this candidate's value system, the money that they're seeking in the budget is for things like, you know, trying to go ahead and create more county parks, trying to go ahead and fix up the bathrooms for the community, trying to basically assist nonprofits with their mission, you know, in community outreach for housing, for, for shelter, for food, for domestic violence services, things like that. And so that's what I think I, the voters should really focus in on. It's like, all right, you've been in office, you have a track record. What have you voted yes or no on? What have you introduced? What monies have you secured and why? But now, obviously, for new candidates, they don't have that kind of a track record at all. You know, and only through them being elected and actually serving are you going to see it emerge. But, I mean, to me, it's like, if voter, you go out there, you pull the ballots, and somebody's running as an incumbent, go ahead and visit the, either the county or the state website and look at what they've done, how they voted. And if you think the way they're voting and the priorities are and what money they're securing for is basically in line with what only certain interests want, then, you know, don't support them. But if they have done what the communities wanted through thick and thin, and that's been their priorities, and the votes, the bills they voted against have been against special interests, then that's really something you should take to heart when you cast your final decision. So, anywho. <laughs> but what in anywho, man. Oh, and, and how the time has flown. We, we, we have a little bit of space left, though. And and I could definitely say that like I could talk story with you for a long time, brother. So this is yeah, this I, is I, a, I kind of follow out a little as you can. <laughs> I dig it though, but you know what? I like guys I can talk across the aisle with. Like this is where this is where we make the voting base a little more purple. You know what I'm saying? You know. <laughs> well, exactly. We have a, we have a very independent voting base here in Hawaii and Maui. I think more people are embracing their purpleness now, mm-hmm. and it's, it's becoming issue oriented politics. You know, voters want to hear on the issue. They want to hear what the hell you're going to do about X, Y, and Z. And you know, it's like there's many ways to get to Hana. You know, it's which ones do you agree with the most? I mean, do you want to yeah. take a boat? Do you want to take a plane? Do you want to drive? It's like, do you want to have affordable rentals? Do you want to have government acquisition establishment? Do you want to just like a blase fair free market? You know, I mean, and then that was what stimulates the community debate, you know, really. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same place. And the real pressure on us is, okay, if we're successful, we actually have to deliver on it. We have to show the community we introduced all of this stuff based upon what the community wanted during the campaign. We we pushed it through. But here's the big thing. I'll leave you guys with this. And I say this all the time. The real battle begins after November 8th. It begins in January. And it begins with the legislative session and the community involvement is the most critical then. If nobody, I introduced a bill several years ago to up the percentage of 201H and to make it restrictive covenant. Now it's a popular idea. I introduced it about four years ago. Nobody from the public showed up to testify in support of it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the special interest came in and squashed it dead in committee. And so we can have all of these great ideas. We can have all of these stuff introduced and requests, but if the public doesn't participate, now we have Zoom in every legislative uh, committee hearing now next year is permanent. So you can testify from your car, the beach, wherever, 
I mean, that is where people really need to stand up and get involved. You know, it's easy to track the bills. You can get automated texts and emails when they get scheduled for a hearing. You can chime in via Zoom, just jump in and testify. You can go ahead. But if people got to be in the fight, democracy is not is a participation sport. Mm -hmm. And and that's really where the election's a big thing. But once the dust is over, settles, people need to enjoy the holidays, but then they need to gear up and get in the square building, get involved, participate, write the emails. And it does make a difference. I'll bring up PLDC as a point. PLDC was established. It was stepping all over the county zoning rights and the general plan. The public freaked out during the election about it. it. became a big issue. After the election was over, a bill was introduced to repeal it. People came out of the woodworks to testify for it, to write about it, put it on social media, get it in the regular media. And the bill passed both chambers and was on the governor's desk in less than 30 days. And that's the kind of power people have when they rise up and stay involved. So that's my plea to everybody out there. You voted. That takes us to halftime. Now we begin the second half, the critical half that will determine the outcome of the game, and that's the involvement in the council and legislative sessions. So, Well, that's a good halftime speech, brother. Thank you <laughs> yeah, for coming on. Come on now, we gotta go out there and I mean, exactly let's win it for the year. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. it's true, and I, I keep saying that over and over and over again. I will, even you know, if I'm successful, I'll be doing community meetings and rehammering re on a bunch of them and rehammering this point over and over again and pinging people like, okay, look, we hear all the bills we discussed. Is everything we're going to be introducing now? We need you sign up for the for the notification system. Get ready and testify. Call this chairperson's office. Blow them up. Tell them we need this bill. You know, we need you to pass it. And they'll be amazed at how things move in the right way. Because you know, I mean, I've been working sixteen years with my colleagues. I can tell you that they're very. They're very focused on what constituents say, especially in the public hearing process. If nobody shows up, if nobody testifies, that's when you see all of a sudden somebody wheeling in, you know, a lobbyist coming and saying, hey, you should kill this bill. Okay, nobody cares about it. It dies, you know, but if there's a thousand people testifying, that person's going to go, yeah, you know what? Everybody wants this. So, no, it's going to move. And just, just that's, gotta bring out the tar and feathers every once in a while to encourage people. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the Kihei High School is a good example. Back when there was the, the construction money got yanked, one of the former representatives did a postcard alert thing where they sent out postcards to everybody with the name of the chairperson of the money committee and the education committee on it, basically saying, you know, fund our school. And they literally got carpet bombed with the thousands of these postcards, and the thing got resurrected and passed. And now the school is being built out as we speak so i mean it's all carrots and sticks and the public is a huge stick and a carrot you know and at the end of the day it's it's you know it does move mountains just you know so everybody out there on the podcast no matter where you live get involved in vote but once the voting's over and the choices have been made you need to gear up for the second half because that's where the game will be decided dig it dig it so before right you go on. Can you tell us 
uh, and uh, your voters, how they can support you and best contact you. Well, the best way you can support me is when that ballot arrives in the mail, check McKelvey, State Senate District 6, first one on the list. If you're in South and West Maui, Waikapu, or the Legends of Maui Lani, you want to find out more about me, through my, you can visit my website, Mac, the number four, Senate, the number six, dot com, Facebook page at Mac for Senate six. We got posts and different things going on up there. And I still am a representative for at least for two more weeks. So if you live in District 10, which is the current district, which is West Maui, Ma'alaya, or one street in North Kihei, you can contact my office there. Um, we still are here to serve you in the final two weeks. And that's Rep McKelvey at capital.hawaii.gov and Facebook page, same thing, at Rep McKelvey. Right. Uh, and I just want to say thank you, everybody out there listening who is a voter and participated. And I thank you for allowing me to serve you all these years. And I appreciate your support. Get out and vote. Most important thing, it all starts with that. And appreciate appreciate your consideration uh, when you fill out your ballots. Mahalo, Angus. Uh, Mahalo, my friend. Sounds good. Oh, hi, everybody. We'll talk to you, everybody soon. Okay, bye. <laughs>